Hi and welcome to the Wildflower Stories podcast. I'm your host Jessica Raj. On today's episode I'm chatting with three incredible women who I have the pleasure of knowing. We'll be chatting on the subject of racism and how we can practically be more empathetic toward the black community. I wanted to release this episode a while after the hype of the Black Lives Matter movement because I believe that we should still be exploring the subject and asking God to continually teach us what it means to love without racial barriers, to love how he loves. This episode is a little longer than usual, but I encourage you to listen to the whole thing, even if you have to come back to it a few times, because all three women share pearls of wisdom we all should grab onto and ponder in our own hearts. So wherever you are today, I pray that God will give you moments to truly lean in close and join me for a chat with Ashley, Renee and Ruth. Hello Ashley Dawes, welcome to the podcast. Hello. So Ash was on my podcast about two years ago when I began doing this and I had no idea what I was doing and um so I'm really excited to have her back on today so thank you my lovely friend thank you Jess. um so we're just gonna have a conversation about what's going on in the world today and about yeah. the racial injustice that's being exposed and televised globally right now um yeah so ash do you want to just give us a glimpse um into your life and i guess what's your ethnicity and how were you raised to think about i guess different races and cultures yeah um so i'm i was born in america i was born in hackensack new jersey i don't know if anyone knows where that is um (laughs) <laughs> my dad is Jamaican. My dad migrated to the U.S. I think when he was around 20. I'm waiting for him to like interrupt me in the other room and be like, no, I was 22. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, my mom is Chilean. She's from South America. And she came to Australia when she was around eight years old. Um, and my parents met in Australia. My dad was on a missions trip here and ended up staying at my mom's house because my grandpa was a pastor, um, a part of the same kind of movement. And um, yeah, so they got married in the US and me and my sister were both born there. Um, Growing up, I don't really remember, I think, because I was, I don't know, I, I really give props to my mom because I never really saw kids of other ethnicities and thought, oh, you're different. Mm. I, I don't know if that's because, you know, I was clearly different and I was like, oh, you know, everyone's brown or, or any of that. But I grew up with kids who, you know, they were white, they were black, they were Hispanic, they were of all kinds of races. And I never remember my mom being like, this is how we treat these people. You know, we have to yeah. respect these people. It was kind of like, you respect everyone and you love everyone. And this is what, this is the foundation that Christ lays mm. out for us is that 
we love everybody. So that's kind of the experience that I had. And also growing up, I never really, yeah, I never really, like my cousins as well, like my cousins on my mom's side, like they're all Hispanic. They're all like, you know, they all look Hispanic. Um, few of them are like really Caucasian looking. And then on my dad's side, like my cousins are all um, Jamaican. So, you know, they're all quite darker than me. So I think I've always kind of been around kids who, you know, look different to me. So mm. I never really thought it to be a thing growing up. Yeah. And that's kind of how it's, I think that's set the, set the foundation for my whole life. I've never, you know, thought, oh, this is how these people are. This is how these people are. Like, it's always been like, oh, these are people. Um, yeah. So looking back on my childhood... Yeah, that's that's kind of how I was raised, um, thinking about race. But I know that as a kid, being exposed to, um, you know, information about slavery mm. and even even I remember when I was younger and that movie Australia came out oh, yeah. with Nicole Kidman, it absolutely wrecked me because I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, mom, like I look like that little boy, like mm. I'm so sad, like I was just so shocked and just watching and watching things about like injustice because of race really used to bother me when I was a kid like it Mm. really used to scare me but I kind of grew out of it and then when I was 11 I moved to Australia and Mm. yeah that's kind of my my upbringing in my life so far yeah and did you ever feel that you were going to be at some point in your life a victim of racism? Um, I never thought, I never thought that I'd be a victim of like systemic racism, Mm. like in regards to, you know, the law, um, the work, I think actually maybe the workplace. I think once I came to Australia and obviously I'm 20 now, so I'm kind of at that point in my life where I'm, you know, becoming a part of society, getting a job, all that kind of thing. And sometimes I do think, oh, like, is this is it okay for me to wear my hair like this? Like, am I going to be too much for my colleagues? Or, like, is are my features too, too much? Or, like, are they going to look at me weird? Like, is this acceptable? Mm-hmm. So I think on a, on a scale of racism, yes, I've been scared of that. But as a kid, I don't remember feeling like, oh, I'm going to get, like, stopped by the police. But I think that's a huge, a huge, huge, huge part of that is because of where I grew up. I grew up in a really nice suburban neighborhood. Mm. Um, a lot of my friends were white. Um, like, it was, it, was, it was the ideal childhood, like, the ideal place. Like, mm. I always talked to my mom about it. And, like, my childhood was, like, a movie. She's like, yeah, it mm. really was. Like, it was just perfect. Like, we used to go pumpkin picking. Like, we used to go to the beach all the time we just had the best like me and my mom and my dad my sister like when we were younger we just had the best time so yeah there was no memory where racism kind of you know came into my life and destroyed that and took away that kind of freedom to just be a child yeah wow and yeah I think that's what makes me so sad for kids who are experiencing this because obviously like 
as much as you know i'm i'm black like i'm half black and i'm american like i can't speak for a lot of americans i can't speak for a lot of african americans because our experiences across the country are so different mm. like they're just so unique and certain parts carry a lot more um i think they have different histories as well like what you find in new jersey is not what you're going to find in the south of the united states um i don't know a lot of history about new jersey and mm. what kind of happened there but yeah i think it's a huge part of why i didn't experience what a lot of kids are experiencing and um yeah, it really breaks my heart because I see that and I'm like, every kid should have a chance to have a childhood like I had. Not necessarily for it to be so ideal, but the freedom to be a child without fearing that your life is going to be taken away because wow. of how you look. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's... Yeah, that's really heartbreaking. I, um... Yeah. I rem- I was, um... I was, I've just been doing this devotional um, from the Bible project about justice and I, they said something about the word righteousness and how in Hebrew it doesn't just mean being right with God but being right with people and yeah. seeing them and treating them as equals. The fact that God created humans to have dominion over the earth. You know, like animals, there's this kind of circle of life, um, this way of life where, you know, the lions eat the deers and the deers eat the birds. And so they have their hierarchy. But with humans, we're we're equal. And to think that some children, many children, who are of color or you know they look different or they've got a disability or whatever um don't know any different like they experience that racism from very early on um it just it makes me so angry and so tell me a bit about your experience with racism you said you haven't had much exposure to it which is yeah an amazing privilege um yeah what yeah tell me a little bit about um I guess your experience with it or lack of yeah um yeah like you you kind of just mentioned the word privilege um I think something that has occurred to me throughout like my teenage becoming a teenager and a young adult is that being lighter skin like you do have a certain privilege and um, I think that's definitely affected my experiences of racism. Um, you know, there are certain stereotypes that I'm not going to get that, you know, people are going to apply to my dad. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I haven't, I haven't experienced any, like, systemic um, racism, like, throughout my life in America or even here. Um, I have experienced... Um, some ignorant people just making ignorant comments about, you know, saying the N-word. Um, mm. Sometimes, a lot of times, like, um, people kind of meet me at first and they, like, kind of talk to me in Ebonics 
I don't know if you know, like, Avonix is like, oh, hey, girl, what's going on? Blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's kind of like, I know, it's kind of weird because yeah. it's like, you're not, you're not black. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you have no idea. Like, I, I, like, when you see me, like, you're just, you're just assuming all this stuff about me and you're just talking to me in this way. And I'm like, okay, I don't appreciate this. Like, Wow. We can have a conversation without you kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like mocking, but I don't think that's the intention, but um, that's kind of how it comes across. Yeah. And then like, I don't think um, sometimes people realize, um, and like I said before, like they, I think they don't realize because of popular culture and, you know, the music and things like that. And mm. like, you know, those artists who like use the N-word who are like, you know, African-American who are black, like, Mm. They can use that because it's a part of their story. Like, it's a part of their cultural heritage. Yeah. But I think, like, if you're not of that, you're not of that heritage, then it's not cool. Like, it's really not cool. And sometimes, even, like, on TikTok, like, you see it all the time. And it's, like, it's hilarious when you look at it. But, you know, I said it to you before. I think what people need to realize is that sometimes humor is the sacrifice of, like, actually respecting someone. Mm. And, you know, that conversation, you know, may it not be as funny, you know, mm-hmm. if you're not throwing around those slangs and stuff, but, you know, at the end you leave and no one is offended. And, you know, it's like you just had a normal human interaction without kind of bringing all that weird stuff. Because I don't think people realize, like, when you say that word, like, there's so much historical weight and you just yeah. don't see it. Yeah. But someone on the other side of that, they can see it. And it's like, wow. it's offensive. That's the bottom line, is that it is offensive. Um, but yeah, those have been my experiences. Obviously, it's it's so different. And I think as well, like, when people talk to, like, people of color, and they ask them questions, like, oh, you know, because you're black, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I was telling my friend the other day, it's like, I would never go to someone who's from Italy and and ask them something about, you know, being white or someone from Iceland or someone who's Caucasian. Like, I would never ask them something, oh, like, do white people think like this? Mm. Because there's so many Caucasian people. Like, there's so many white people. Mm. Like, I would never think that someone's opinion from Ireland is going to be the same as someone from Iceland. Like, Mm. I would never, never think that. But I think a lot of things that I see now is like, oh, because, you know, you talk to one person who's black then it's like, oh, you're speaking for an entire community where it's like, it's not necessarily true. Like, there are so many differing experiences. Yeah. Um, There are so many, you know, inequalities in that in itself. So, um, Mm. yeah, I think that's affected a lot how I've experienced racism or lack of experiencing racism. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Um. And you know what, I'm just speaking for myself here, but I'm sure I can speak for others on this matter, is that, like you said about the whole people being ignorant about throwing the N-word around and and saying, hey girl, and you know, I've probably been there (laughs) in the sense that like, you know, you and I are friends, but sometimes I might say that and... I don't even realize what's going on in your mind. And yeah. and I think that's the struggle that we have is that we 
we don't know what to say. So we, we just stay silent. We don't say anything at all. Um, yeah. In terms of what is happening in the world right now and um, the riots going on in America. But, you know, in our own homeland, you know, um, with yeah. the Indigenous Australians um, and, and the injustice that's happened to them historically. You know, I saw a post the other day about um, Australia Day. Uh, uh, sorry, Australia Day and the yeah. significance of that um, for Caucasian people. But, you know, it's actually a really sad day for yeah, the Indigenous terrible. community. And, you know, um, it makes me sad thinking that I, I didn't know about the sadness of that day for so many people yeah um or or i did know about it but i wasn't aware of it um yeah to a greater extent and um i guess that's the conflict in my heart and that's why these conversations need to be had and that's why you see a lot of preachers like carl lentz and steve stephen furtick um, using their platform to speak up on the matter and to ask the really hard yeah. questions and um, and I love that I love that you know we are bringing this to the surface now that it's yeah. not something we are um, keeping to ourselves or you know um, yeah yeah concealing and I think that's just where I'm at right now um, yeah and so. Tell me, Ash, what tugs at your heartstrings most about the racial injustice of all of these African Americans, all of these these black people like George Floyd, who yeah. have have been killed because of their color? What what really hurts you? Um, I think I, I was saying to someone not long ago, like every time something like this happens. Um, I just like see my dad like and I'm just so grateful um that nothing like that happened to him because you know when you're I think when you're a bit more sheltered you can be like oh you know but they were doing something bad I'm not talking about George Floyd obviously but you're Mm -hmm. like oh maybe they were doing something bad maybe and you want to give you want to give you know the police you want to give the law the benefit of the doubt you want to feel safe you want to trust Mm -hmm. you know just like everyone else but then you know you peel back the layers of the onion and you just start to cry more because you realize that these are just innocent people Mm. who are you know really not doing anything like you know, I've heard people say, oh, George Floyd was, you know, it was, what was he doing? It was like um, a counterfeit bill he was giving away or he had like a, a police criminal history or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but that's besides the point is that you don't deserve to be, you know, proven guilty and killed on the sidewalk. That just mm-hmm. doesn't happen yeah. to white people. Like, it just doesn't happen. No, it and doesn't especially like it makes me it makes me angry because I'm not even angry anymore I think personally when you know things just become really overwhelming I just get sad like I don't Mm -hmm. kind of go to anger like it's my first reaction but underneath that it's just like 
this sadness. And it's just, it's sad to me because I just, I just see like something like that happening to someone like my dad, who's like, you've met my dad before. He's just like the, you know, the most like out there, welcoming, friendly Mm -hmm. guy. And I'm like somewhere, you know, somewhere down the line, the most friendly, outgoing guy who just happens to be African-American has died. Yeah. And he hasn't done anything wrong. And, you know, there's no justifying. I mean, even look at Brianna Taylor. Like, mm. she was literally sleeping. Mm. Like, there's there's another story of a little kid who was, like, playing with a toy gun. And, and the police just shot him. Like, and he died. Wow. So, it's like, that makes me sad. It's like, you don't even have... It doesn't matter what kind of person you are. Mm. Like, it's just there. Like, it's just it's still there. And then... And then you see videos and you hear stories of people who are racist, Mm. who are actually racist. Like I've seen so many videos circling around, like of people being like, go back to your country, calling out all these stereotypes. And I'm like, just shocked. Like, it's just, I'm like, I cannot believe that this exists. Like, I can't, Mm. I mean, I can believe it. I can believe it because of the history and and I think that as well like two weeks two weeks ago three weeks ago like this wasn't on you know this wasn't on Instagram's radar look it is now Mm. and you know there are all these people like you know oh like all this activism and stuff and I'm like I'm like this isn't like a new issue like it's it's surprising yeah it is surprising but it's not at the same time yeah yeah and um, it's been going on for so, so long. And I think as well, like, when I see people, um, they're kind of calling out the violence that's happening and, you know, like, all these different things that are happening. Oh, you know, they're doing this, they're burning down buildings and stuff, which is just, it's terrible. It is terrible, and it's very sad because, you know, people of color, like, black people are also being affected. Mm. But it's also, like, you have to see why they're doing this. Like, you have to... You have to look at the history. Like, black people were slaves in America for, like, 400 years, more than that. Like, it's it's a deep, deep systemic issue. Mm. Like, it's not just, you know, people got angry and they just, you know, started burning things down. Like, and I hear, like, you know, I heard some of my friends being like, oh, you know, but violence isn't just the answer. Like, it's it's not the answer. And I'm like, but there are, like, mothers sisters and brothers who have and and fathers and cousins who have had people just die in their family before being black i was listening to this podcast um from the new york times and they were interviewing this lady and she's saying you know like whenever something happens she's like i call my sister i call my brother i call my cousins before i call the police she's like someone broke into my house and she's like i called my brother like mm. I do not call the police and I'm like that's so true because mm. you can just call the police and they come and they you know they see you there in that dark hallway or not even in a dark hallway and they just shoot you like wow. and it's but also it's like it's not I don't know I know a lot of people may disagree and I'm not trying to force my opinions because it is such 
like a touchy subject Mm. and a lot of people have you know different opinions and information to back the back those opinions up but I don't see this as a war against police like Mm. it's it's a systemic issue and it's coming through law enforcement and there are racist cops there are racist I mean you've seen you've seen the videos Mm. but this is a deep deep issue like it's and it's huge. Like, it's more than just the police at this point. Mm. Like, people carry, like, these racist um, views. And it's, like, even in Ahmad Arbery's case, like, he wasn't killed by a police officer. Like, he was killed by people who saw him and were like, he's a criminal. Mm. Just regular civilians, like, he's a criminal. Like, that's an issue. Like, he, they weren't police officers. Like, they were just people in the neighborhood. And that's yeah. scary. Like, that yeah. that makes me really sad. Mm. Wow. But yeah. I, um, I was just thinking about, I guess, the stereotypes that I've had um, along the years. And I remember reading the novel The Shack years ago and I don't know if you've read it or heard of the story but yeah, I've heard of it. um but God in the story is an African-American woman yeah and you know it never had occurred to me until that moment that I read that story that I had always seen Jesus as white and yeah. even my daughter's Bible stories um Jesus is painted white still to this day and it just it makes me so sad because Jesus probably wasn't white in fact he was dark that's a given fact and I just I I just want to be more aware of those yeah like you said those deeply rooted um, yeah. issues of the heart or, or just things that have caused us to believe you know certain yeah. stereotypes um, for various reasons and I just I want to be more educated I want to be more aware and you know having this conversation with you um, right now is just making me more motivated to know yeah. more and to be more empathetic and I think um, as well Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go, go. Yeah, I think as well, like, even what we, you wait back to what you were saying about realizing, you know, that Australia Day is actually a really hard day um, for Mm. the Indigenous community here. Um, I think change and education and awareness, it comes at a cost, and that cost is us being comfortable Mm. and us... um, you know, wanting to practice, um, you know, our our cultural days and things like that. And it comes at a cost, like, it's not as if we can have these two coinciding. Yeah. Um, like, oh, yeah, Australia Day is really sad, but I want to celebrate Australia. Mm. It's not like we can, you know, say, oh, yeah, we agree with you, but then also go and celebrate Yeah. as well. It's like there has to be a giving, like mm. there's something has to give. And even as Christians, like I feel like as Christians, like 
why why aren't we at the forefront of forefront of this like mm. why aren't we pushing for this mm. I, I mean not actually like you know aggressively pushing but mm. why aren't we extending ourselves more mm. you know as a body of christ like okay if you cannot celebrate this day then we can't celebrate this day mm. because in the body of christ we are one and yeah and you know I just I've I've been really convicted on on that even that issue because I'm not indigenous like mm. I'm not I'm not a part of you know the indigenous um community so I think it gives me an opportunity to be in the shoes of many of my friends who aren't black mm. and to say you know I need to be open and I need I need to learn mm. and I need to extend to my extend myself and in order to do that like I need to be uncomfortable. Mm. Um, so I've been looking, I've been researching some alternatives to Australia Day. I know there's like different festivals, Indigenous festivals on and different things. And a lot of Indigenous people just say, oh, I, I just sit inside and watch TV. Like I don't even, mm. I don't even celebrate it. But yeah, what you were saying, I think the point I'm making is that change comes at an uncomfortable, like it comes at the cost of comfortability. Mm. And um, yeah, and I think even even as Christians, like we know that is to love Christ, He doesn't call us to a comfortable life. Mm. You know, His number one commandment is for us to love each other as He loves us. Like love love others as not only as you love yourself, but as Christ has loved us. And and I don't think that's the number one thing that He said because it's so easy, but because it's so hard, especially in this world where you know doing things at the expense of other people's or offending other people it's so attractive Mm. like australia day is so attractive like you know um cultural appropriation saying the n-word all Mm. those things making jokes about other races it's so attractive it's so funny it looks so glamorous but in the end it is so destructive and Mm. counterintuitive to harmony Mm. Um, but yeah yeah and even just what you were saying about Jesus, like even for myself that that happened too and it wasn't until I was in college and this guy came, I don't know exactly who he is, I can't remember what organization he was from, but he's like a scientist and he just researches, I don't know, scientist things about the Bible and all that stuff and um, we were sitting down and he was talking about Adam and Eve and he was like, yeah, Adam and Eve would have been, you know, you know, they would have had, like, brownish-colored skin. I don't know if this is accurate, but this is what he was saying. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like to me, yeah, Eve would have probably been, like, you know, the complexion of you. And I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, I felt like he told me I looked like Kim Kardashian. Like, I just felt so flattered. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I look like Eve. Like, what? I was so shocked. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, in my whole life, I've just seen myself as separate to these stories. Wow. And... I don't know, like, I think there's something, there's something about that, like, there's a message that that sends, like, yeah, you know, that, that Barbie doesn't look like you, that mm. girl on TV doesn't look like you, mm. you know, people in the Bible don't look like you, like, mm. but they look white, so, yeah, there's a lot of, um, a lot of things there, but yeah. Wow. Sorry, I kind of rambled. No, but. I love it, I love it, I, um, I, we could talk about this forever I guess and continue our conversation but um I just want to say thank you for being so open about your 
your own perspective and um you know i really appreciate you taking the time to do this and for us to just chat i didn't really have an agenda but i just wanted yeah. to to chat with you about the subject and and i'm really grateful for this time so thank you for so much and thank you for listening Hello, Renee. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, I feel so honoured to have you on. Um, so Renee and I went to church together for a very long time mm-hmm. and then she packed her bags and moved all the way to the lovely Adelaide and mm-hmm. is at Influences Church. You're, you're the kids pastor at one of the campuses there or a yes, few campuses? Yes, I'm, I'm the kids pastor at the Paradise Campus. Awesome. And how are you enjoying that? Oh, I love it. This week we're doing Floor is Lava. And we're oh, interviewing I an Olympian. That. Oh, that's so cool. We've got Matt Glater, Olympian, talking to kids about how to win well, how to lose well, what does the Bible say? Yeah. And then Floor is Lava and... Yeah, free ice cream. It's it's such a creative joy. Like you know, I love creativity. Yes. I love all that stuff, and being able to pour that into yeah, kids ministry is unbelievable because they just come in with eyes of wonder. And if you say that floor is lava, they believe it. It's so great. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I'm so happy for you. Um, I so it Renee yes. has an amazing background, and she's indigenous or yep. half indigenous I should say yes am I getting that wrong <laughs> oh, yeah. well, <laughs> you well, you I, tell me tell me what I your heritage you. is yeah no well um no you're right um my dad there our background is is South Sea Islander okay. and also there's Torres Strait Islands and there's Aboriginal mm. in my on my dad's side and he also has um you know some Irish and some other you know cultures in him as well like background mm. but my and then on my mom's side she's like dinky die generational aussie when i say aussie <laughs> i mean like my my uncles were once a jolly swagman you know yeah with rovers <laughs> boiler makers like two wow. white true blue that kind of aussie farmer style type yeah. um so yeah so i've got like you know a pretty rich heritage mm. but we do have very strong uh, connection and um, with our, you know, the the First Nations inheritance I get from, you know, my aunties and my, you know, my dad from my dad's side of the family. And as if you've met my dad, which you've met my dad, he's very, very, very passionate. Mm. My mum about the situation in Australia with First Nations people. In fact, my whole family is very passionate about mm. that. So, yeah, I love that, and I'd love to talk more about that today with you so um tell me did you ever uh, growing up did you ever experience any sort of racism well you know I grew up you know I've grown up in a military family so Mm. you know my dad is um in the defense force and so that was a dominant culture for us so Mm. I we traveled a little bit and um so that was like one of the things I grew up knowing very much about, you know, army and army life and things like that. And then I also have, I also had a very strong Christian um, upbringing, mm. like so who I am as a child of God. And 
So a lot of the times when I was growing up, these are the kinds of things that I I got my identity from. Obviously, being a daughter of, you know, Christ, I mean, a child of God, that's that's a great one. So I never had my... I always knew that I was, um, had, I was Aboriginal. I always knew I had Torres Strait Islander. And mm. I always had that taught to me in school. I went to separate kind of school events and things like that. Um, but it was not something that I had to directly have any trouble with growing up because you know I went to school and stuff but I tell you when it did become uh, a little you know some of my journey is when you're trying to find your culture which has been kind of you know stolen if I can say that Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word and it's and it's it's really hard to try to find that without some kind of shame added to it or some kind of um or claim or like you're trying to claim something that's not yours or things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. and so that's actually really tricky when you have people who have grown up where the culture's been taken and when you're trying to claim it back and then there's a lot of different kinds of stigma on that do you know so yeah, yeah. in that kind of sense um yeah and there's a lot of people who have that experience Mm. Um, yeah, like, um, I'll, like, and I'll give you an example. Like, it's it's probably just like a language thing. But so in Indigenous culture, the way you identify as Aboriginal comes from um, this kind of three points of reference. First of all, you have the bloodline. So you are Aboriginal because you have that blood in you. That makes sense. Secondly, you identify with your culture. And your, identi- and your culture identifies back with you and that's what it means to be part of that community mm-hmm. and to be accepted. And so because of the stolen generations and a lot of people, um, you know, being forcibly removed from their families and having culture try to be wiped out and things like that, um, that's why they don't say, like, you'll never hear, like, for example, like when you'll hear it taught, if you say something like, well, what percentage of Aboriginal are you? Yeah. That's not really even on the cards when it comes to Aboriginality mm. because of the history of it being removed. They don't, the validation doesn't come by a percentage. Wow. It comes by your connection, your heart and your bloodline. Okay. And yeah. so, yeah. So when it says, well, what percentage? Mm. Well, what are you going to say? Oh, just my finger is or just yeah. my toe is? <laughs> yeah, like, that's true. And I think the other thing is, is um, you know, like for example, and the way I like to explain it is my great-great-grandmother who, you know, was a Torres Strait Islander woman, I'm 100% her great-great-granddaughter. Mm. So that's, yes, and I've still got it. And I love all my, but that, I'm still 100% her granddaughter. That's, totally. Just because I have other influences doesn't mean I'm not hers, do you know? It's so true. yeah. No, it's so interesting. Of- it's interesting that you say that because, you know, my my dad's side of the family come from Malta, and I yeah. have never had that question being asked. Okay, but what percentage Maltese are you? So it's interesting that that question is often asked when you have Aboriginal or Indigenous um, Australian in you, um, that you ask that question because I I know of other. Um, 
people with indigenous blood as well who've who've been asked that question and so it's it's interesting that the question has to be asked in the first yeah, place because what it does is it creates a scale of how authentic you are mm. but that authenticity you could be you could do, you could be like let's say for argument's sake 100 percent, but you don't identify you're like i don't want anything to do with that yeah so it's like there has to be a leaning in with your heart as well as of course there's um you know but you know like even in the family of god mm. you know we we identify as you know brothers and sisters in christ because there's a blood recognition we have the blood of christ yeah but that's not just it there's more to that there's me accepting that that's my community and the community accepting me there's a family that happens so yeah, there's not just good. one and that's more important yeah and yeah so yeah yeah no i love that i love the connection um that you made just then um so tell us some misconception misconceptions or myths about the aboriginal community um share some some of those that you can bust for us if sure. you if you'd like yeah i'd love to um look i'm not by no means any expert and i'm really on this journey myself but mm. i've had a lot of you know a lot of talking about the spiritual life of the aboriginal community and sometimes it being you know connected with like voodoo or mm. you know smoking ceremonies and all these kinds of practices which i've had people directly say to me like it's evil or things like that mm. and um you know, and I, I listen to that because I don't want to be ignorant. I want to hear what people have to say in that. But, yeah. you know, I was having a little conversation with my sister and my sister's, um, she works in Indigenous affairs for uh, in a, for government. Mm. Um, God, she'll hate that I don't know exactly what it's called. But anyways, <laughs> but she has a very influential, you know, role and position in, in mm. that space. And she was talking to me about, you know, a lot of the customs that, the, of Indigenous Australians, tribal life is so similar to the gospel. Their mm. their innate beliefs on what's right and wrong, on moral, like moral. What am I trying to say? Morale, not morality. What am I? You know what Mor- I mean? By, moral grounds, moral yeah, values. Yeah, moral grounds. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, there is so in tuned with what you know tribal life. The gospel. Mm. I mean, if you look at Jesus, mm. I mean, and the God. That's all written in the context of tribes and how, mm. like you know, you got the twi- tribes of Israel and you've mm. got family lineage and 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 family mob mentality, I guess. Mm. But the other thing is even things like uh, you know just purely what's right and wrong, looking after the land, like totems. Totems. I've just recently learnt that. Your totem isn't like a spiritual animal. It, it's actually your responsibility. So everybody, it's about looking after like nature. So if mm. your totem is this particular animal, you're you're the one responsible to kind of look after it, make mm. sure it, it lasts and doesn't get extinct, things mm. like that. And so, yeah, and I, I'm starting to um, really understand. Like I've been catching up with a lot of um, Aboriginal elders and Christian mm. Aboriginal elders and the way they talk about the land and the sun and they're just such a deep revelation of God because, you know, the glory of God is shown in his creation. 
Yeah, so true. And we get so flooded with materialism and, mm. you know, the things of the world and they don't care about that. Like they, they know they're living off the land. Mm. They know they need to eat. They know God provides. And But before it was God, they just always knew it was something bigger than them. There was never a question of is there a God. Mm. That's 100% there is a creator. That's 100% known. So it's not very hard for them to go, oh, oh, yeah. Creator, yeah, that's easy. It's Jesus. Yeah. So they're so in tune. They're so there already wow. when it comes. And I tell you, when when they get a revelation that it's Christ, yeah. And, and when I've met the elders who know it's Christ, there is this amazing awareness, understanding of just life and and the unseen things. They because they've always known it. They've yeah. always known it to be true. So that's some that's some of the things that I've been learning. Hmm. Yeah. That's really cool. I love how the language you were using, it was normalizing it in a sense. Like it's not this weird out of the world kind of spiritual connection to the land. It's actually a real deep rooted value system that yes. the Aboriginal community hold. And yeah, you're so right. Like they have this kind of obligation and responsibility to look after creation because we as the human race were given dominance and and superiority over it so yeah that's awesome I've never thought of it that way um just even like knowing like you know when you're witnessing to people and you're sharing the love of Christ like we have sometimes such a one one kind of one-eyed view that they need mm. to do it the way that we do mm. and I mean the principles of God don't change like you know you love your neighbor and you look after one another and forgiveness and you know and we're created to worship all those things are true but I'm just starting to just go no no God I'm actually not I'm learning from them mm. I'm learning stuff I never saw before because I can get caught up in programs and you know church on a Sunday and Mm. you know putting everything into that kind of 75 minute service and and you know and they're showing me to find God in in just some incredible ways which I'm I'm blessed for I'm enriched Mm. I'm enriched by that so I think it's I guess that's with anybody you know you look for God in stuff because he's in in, in everything yeah and you can learn so much if you just listen to other people Yeah, I love that. I love that name. Um, So tell us, how can, from your perspective and what you've been learning the past few months, how can we, as I guess me, um, representing the white community, how can we be more empathetic and understanding toward the Aboriginal community? Yeah, you know, this is, like I said, it's a journey for everybody, but I I think the fundamentals stay the same and I, I heard the other day T.D. Jake say you know have dinner with somebody different to you mm, yeah, I think I understanding and empathy and those things come from a relationship because you don't yeah. care about things you don't care about yeah it's true and you can't try to quickly summarize a whole scenario with like little bits of information so I think the more you have conversations like you're doing um, just, you know, crossing the road 
to go and meet your neighbour and get to know them, mm. then you're going to get to know more about them and then you know how you can bless them and how they can be a blessing to you and doing that without judgment or pretense and without and just allowing their story to be their story and just hear it for what it is. Mm, that's Sometimes awesome. people just want to be heard and understood. Mm-hmm. So true. And so that's, I think that's the starting point in every relationship. I don't think, you know, the, there's certain ways, you know, God gives us an example of relationship. He comes to us. He gave us grace and mercy first. You know, he, he put himself in a position to understand the situation like he came as a man so he could understand and empathize with the human condition. Mm. I mean, if our God can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, he's led an example of, of how to do that. And I mm. think it's just getting into people's worlds and getting to understand who they are. And from there, I think that makes a way. Yeah, that's so good. I love that, Renee. I, um, I'm so grateful for your wisdom and your time today, um, just talking through these things. And, yeah, I, I think just the past few months I've learned so much about what everything you just said just sitting down and having a conversation with someone getting to know them hearing their story it's it's why I created this podcast in the first place and it's it's just so important especially I think especially when we've got um social media that kind of gives us a glimpse into people's lives we won't always know the full picture and it's it's just so important to to really take the time and just go, hey, can I have a coffee with you? Let's let's chat about your life. Tell me, you know, I, yeah, I love that. I love that reminder. So thanks so much, Nay, and um, I really appreciate the time that you've um, taken to, to talk to me today. No, thanks, Jess. I, I, and I'm really excited like you just to keep leaning in and keep learning. It, it's, a, it's a great journey to be on. Hi, Ruth. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Jess. Thank you for having me on. It's an honour. Um, so Ruth and I go to church together and she has a phenomenal voice um, and she is a beautiful prophetic worship leader and I'm just honoured to have you on today, Ruth. I, um, I really admire you. I l- admire you as a leader and, and as a mother and um, yeah, so thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jess. <laughs> um, it's good to have a chance to have a, a chat with you. Um, and, you know, in the, the lead up to this, has given me a lot of food, something to like chew on and think about and set my mind to before coming on today. So looking forward to to you know getting into um the topic that's today yeah that's awesome so let's get into it <laughs> there's no real like easy segue into this kind of topic is there um <laughs> so have you ever been oh first of all tell us what your um your background is your ethnicity okay um, well, I am Nigerian. 
my heritage, uh, Australian, my adoption, um, in terms of um, adopting Australia as my home. I have my biological parents, but I haven't been adopted. Um, <laughs> I grew up here, so I kind of came to Australia um, when I was very young. And I always answer this question quite cautiously because I like to um, convince myself and the world that I am still 21. So, uh, depending on, you know, what year it is, I kind of just adjust when I when I came to Australia. But I came when I was very young mm. um, and did most of, my, uh, most of my growing up here. So, Australia has been home to me for many, many years. Um, but originally uh, from Nigeria. Mm, lovely, cool. Um, so, tell us: Have you ever been the victim of racism before? And um, what feelings surface when you think back to those times? Um, yeah, look, I had to go back and and have a have a look at the definition of racism to mm. know that I was um, looking at at the word in the correct framing. Mm. I think one of the challenges sometimes is that when we are talking about difficult issues, um, we don't define exactly what we mean by the word that we're using. Yeah. Um, so we think we're answering the question or talking, talking to a topic that maybe people are framing differently defining differently and so their perceptions of what we're saying will be um, filtered through that, you know, that understanding. So for me, when I think about racism, I'm thinking about somebody treating me differently um, or treating me in a way that is um, unsettling or unwelcome um, or I guess almost abusive uh, just by virtue of the colour of my skin, mm, yeah. my, my original ethnicity. Um, so to answer that question and that discussion, yes, I have experienced racism in Australia. Um, I have experienced uh, different treatment or un, what I perceive as unfair treatment. Mm. Um, on the color, based on the color of my skin, um, I have to say that it's, it's a little bit of a subjective thing, Jess, because mm. one of the things that um, you need to be wary of is that you're not filtering everything, everything through the lens of the color of your skin. Mm. Does that make sense? Kind so, of. Okay, so. Let's say I walk in a room and somebody looks at me differently uh, or somebody ignores me. Let's say I'm going to a shop and I am not served. Um, and the service, uh, the service personnel is occupied somewhere else or with something else or just seems to overlook me. If I'm not careful, I could interpret that um, overlooking as mm. racism, as yeah. that she, she's ignoring me, she's not serving me, um, or treating me in a certain way because I'm black. Yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, that makes that sense. Makes sense. Totally. 
However, she could be having a bad day. Mm. She could be distracted with really something else that is quite legitimate. Or she could just be a nasty person to everybody. Mm. Yeah, let's <laughs> be real. <laughs> yes, so it does. She's, she's an equal, equal opportunist nasty person. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's sometimes um, listening to the rhetoric of the world around you can make you see things through the lens of race mm. when race is really not an issue. Um, so yeah. I try, in, when your question really made me think, but was that racism? When I thought of different examples, mm. was it racism or did I just think it was? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So when I am trying to find an example of what I can, I guess, definitively say um, was racism. One of my, one of the clear examples I have was um, being in school in Perth, in high school. So, um, growing up in Perth, uh, I have a brother who's a year younger than me. I'm the eldest of four. Um, so, usually in school, we were the only black Mm. in the entire school. Wow. Um, if there were other black kids, it was, it, there weren't many. Mm. Um, and usually maybe they were indigenous kids or mm-hmm. from other cultures. Um, so, growing up in Perth, uh, one of the schools, or the high school that I, I went to for the, the majority of my high schooling, um, I was in high school when Pauline Hanson first made her bid for politics mm. and became very, very vocal um, about, you know, her distaste for um, Asian Australian or Asian people. Mm. Um, and people, I guess, saw it as an opportunity um, to be quite overt mm. in their distaste or in their um, dislike or yeah. of other cultures other than, you know, mm. of the majority white culture. So, yeah, that was, it was an eye-opener for me growing up in Australia because Australia pretty much is the last that I've known. Um, it was an eye-opener for me with kids that I have never had issues with prior to um, Pauline Hanson coming onto the scene. Mm. And what I found in terms of racism and, and being treated from that, um, I guess, from that perspective or that, you know, approach was that I was isolated in school. Um, mm. People would, I would, I would, I'm, I'm trying to create a picture here. So we had a canteen area that was under an undercover awning, and there was a long bench um, along the, the brick wall in the canteen area. So in order to get from uh, one side to the other, you have to walk uh, across the long, the long bench. So usually, um, boys in my year group and older would be on those benches at mm. lunchtime and recess. So to get to the bathroom, I needed to pass that group, generally, pass that group of, of uh, students to get to the toilet. 
something inside. Oh, can you smell something? What smells? What's that smell? Wow. You, and it was, it was really loud. It was really embarrassing. It was really overt mm. um, that this conduct was happening because I, at the time, uh, was really African, I guess, purely in my group and maybe an easy target for them. Mm. So for me, uh, in terms of what I can see as an experience in my life that I can clearly point to and say that that was racist, mm. um, that's an example for me. And it was quite interesting that it happened in the formative years of my life. Mm. Wow. I, yeah, I mean, back to what you were saying when you see the world through the lens of race, I had never really considered that before. Like you would have to question if there was some sort of mistreatment or being overlooked by someone. And you would have to question, okay, is it based on on the color of my skin? Or is it to do with something totally different? Like, Yeah. yeah, I just had never thought of that because obviously for me, I. I would never once think that. But for you, it's it's a different experience. Um, and mm-hmm. so that is, that's really eye-opening actually. Something so kind of, I don't know, not insignificant, but something that, yeah, if you've never experienced it, you would never really know. So that's interesting. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, um, I'm definitely going to be pondering over that um (laughs) so my next question for you Ruth um is in two parts and I want to know based on your perspective how do you think that Jesus in this day and age would practically respond to racial injustice and how can we as a non-black community, reflect his heart? Uh, Again, a very, very, um, you know, deep question. Mm. Very, very food support kind of question. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. Like, it's totally, I want to hear your your take on that question. So there's like no, Yeah. yeah, no right or wrong, just... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I want to hear from you. <laughs> okay. Look, I think um, one of the I think one of the the greatest appeals of the Christian faith is that we have a savior who, um, you know, again a very fruitful question, Jess, but I'm going to quote a scripture if that's okay. Yes, please. Second um, Corinthians eight verse nine. Says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through uh, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, mm. so that through oh, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Mm. So Jesus identified with us mm. in any state, in our most broken state. For the poor, he became poor so that he would, we would become rich in him. Mm. And he imparted his, his wealth to us. Uh, for the broken, he became broken, mm. so that we would be made whole. 
um, Jesus became the worst of the worst yeah. so that we would be able to experience uh, the fullness of life yeah. that we offer. So it's, it's like I think in this day and age at this point in time, he's the only answer to the issue of racism. Yeah. Um, because he is the only God amongst many gods that can say he came and he identified with us in the, in the places that hurt us the most, in the places that um, we are most broken. He, he, he stepped into our shoes. And not only did he step into our shoes, he took our place. Yeah. So as a response and, and in terms of how he would see this issue of racism, I think he would see it through the lens of uh, what the word says is that while we were yet, you know, racism is one of many things, I think. Mm. Um, and it is, he, he, he's done the work to pay the price for that, if that is the thing that ails a man. Yeah. And he's done the work to pay the price for whatever thing that ails us. And I feel like um, in today's day and age, you know, looking at um, reflecting the heart of Jesus when it comes to racial justice, I think that Jesus is consistent in his treatment of sin and it can only be dealt with under the blood. Mm. I think Jesus was consistent in his treatment of the oppressed, mm-hmm. and he, again, took their place, um, became um, the focal point, like he, he was with the lady who was caught in the, in the uh, act of adultery. Mm. You know, Jesus stepped in front of that. Yep. He stepped in front of her. He stepped in front of the accuser, and he said, if you are without sin, cast it first. So yeah. he brought out of all of us the fact that we are all sinners. Yeah. So I feel like he wouldn't want us to get uh, overwhelmed with this particular issue. Mm. Um, and lose sight of the fact that we have all sinned. I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah, no, you are. It's, it's important. It is. Um, it's, it's something to be addressed where we find it in the legitimate places that we find it but I just feel like he would not want us to make it um, the thing that is greater than all others mm. and when we do that and when we approach racial injustice from that perspective then it really it should lead us to look at ourselves and me as a black person who has been on the receiving end of um, racism, I have to come and say, well, I don't like it. Where I see it, I will speak out. Mm. Where I see it and where it needs to be addressed, I will, you know, support anyone, anywhere that needs to address this issue. But I'm not going to get... so overwhelmed with this thing that it, take, it, it, it takes over my understanding that we've all been. Mm. And there's only one remedy, mm. really. Um, yeah. And I just think that he, he 
he was very good at pointing us back, no matter what it was that you encountered, go and sin no more, whatever the sin was. Sometimes he didn't even define it. Mm. <laughs> sometimes he didn't even I know, and that's you. the hard part, <laughs> is it? Isn't it? So yeah. obscure sometimes. But it, yeah, yeah, it's it true. You know, and when he did that, it means that we can all put whatever it is in there. What it was like, name the sin and put it in that yeah, yeah. Go and do that no more. When you yeah. come to me, when you uh, when you confronted me, when you embraced me, go and sin no more. Mm. I think would still be his message today. Mm. If you come, if you if you know that you have been someone who has um, been uh, racist, mm. um, recognize it, acknowledge it, uh, deal with it in any way you need to. Go and sin no more. Mm. I think with everything he's consistent with the remedy, which he, he paid for on the cross by his blood, but mm. everything. And I think he's consistent with the message. Acknowledge yeah. it, go and do it no more. Yeah. So I think. Yeah. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, no, definitely. I'm just thinking, I, I think sometimes we can overcomplicate it, and it yeah. really is as simple as that. Um, and I think also, like, God stands for justice and racial yep. injustice is under that umbrella of yeah. all injustices. All injustices. So it's true. Like, I was thinking of um, examples in the Bible of where racism is. Um, yeah. and, and there aren't many. Um, but... I think you're right. It is that consistent message um, that Jesus constantly brings to the surface. And um, it's just important to know that regardless of what kind of injustice and not undermining racial injustice, but kind of just pinpointing it back to the cross and how Jesus dealt with all of injustices when he walked the earth. So... um, so what are, what are some, I don't know if you can answer this, but what are some ways we, I, representing the non-black community, can come alongside people representing the black community? Um, and what piece of advice could you give to someone like me? Okay. Look, I think, a lot of um, tensions have, have really been raised um, in these last few weeks and months with um, the, the incident regarding George Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think very well shone a light on the fact that uh, there, there are things there are to be addressed when it comes to the way the different races interact. When it comes to the way um, white people, non-black people approach and deal with um, with black people, mm. my my thoughts on this are very very fast. So mm. I'll try and I'll try and um, I'll try and make sense of what I, the point the broader point I'm, I, I want to really. Uh, emphasize here. 
in that when we talk about Jesus and his, his heart and his uh, um, approach, how he would have approached racial injustice today, um, one of the things that gives him hope, again, like I said, him being the only remedy, is that the cross is the great equalizer. Mm. When we come to the cross, nobody comes saying that they are without sin. Mm. So we have all sinned. Mm. Um, in understanding that, then I, I look at this issue with a sense of not fear as in being afraid, but like just being wary of the fact that I need to approach non-black people with um, an understanding that we have all seen. So in that manner, I would say if the church particularly Mm. can return to this understanding, Mm. it breaks down barriers, Jess. So we've all seen God makes us equal. We didn't differentiate between black and white and Jew and non-Jew yeah, and female true. and male uh, when, it, when it comes to this issue the problem is the same is sin mm. the remedy is the same it's his blood wow. and it's for all of us there is no differentiation mm. we've all sinned so I, I believe that the church has such an incredible opportunity to return the message yes to this, we are all sinners, and we accept and acknowledge that um, the only thing that separates the believer from the non-believer is that we are sinners that have been that have been saved mm. by His grace. And to me, I think if we if we hold on to the power of that message, mm. we will break the barriers. Wow. Because um, then I don't look at you um, and try and turn you into a sinner by virtue of your skin color, which yeah. historically, historically, the story of racism has been that sin has been apportioned to uh, black people just by virtue of the fact they're black. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I'm, I get worried that we're perhaps trying to turn the table and make sin a portion to or attributable to non-black people by virtue of the fact that they're not black. That's not the answer. Wow. No. Uh, That's not where the problem lies. And the church knows this. Mm -hmm. The problem is not in the sin. The problem is sin. Mm -hmm. And if we can emphasize that and say, look, the sin of racism has to be tackled. It is it, something that is a blemish on um, the human uh, experience when we can um, look at someone's skin color and and feel like we know their story, uh, feel like we know how they think, feel wow. like we are better than or superior to. Yeah. We have fallen short of God, God's death. Wow. Yeah. So, but the issue is for black people um, in in trying to wrestle with this is that we can do it too. Mm. So when we 
say if you are white, you are racist. That in itself is racism. Mm. Mm. We are imputing a particular mindset or state of someone's heart um, to their skin color. And that's the thing we're trying to eradicate. Mm. We have to be careful not to adopt it in reverse. Wow. So the, um, I guess, the way we can, the, the non-white community, that's like anyone, uh, if, to, uh, to me, to my mind, in order to help um, bring unity and heal the divides that exist, is to find out someone's story. Yeah. Take the time to know their story. Mm-hmm. Take the time to know where they have suffered. It may not be the same. It mm-hmm. may not look the same. But if you can identify with someone's suffering, and it, based on that passage I read earlier, like Jesus did, identified with our poverty, mm-hmm. identified with our suffering, if we can take the, the example of Jesus and identify with someone's suffering and, and sit down and ask them mm-hmm. their name, and you ask me, tell me about where you're from, tell me about your background, mm-hmm. you know, tell me about who you are. Mm-hmm. That is going to break down the wall. Mm-hmm. So then you become someone who is defined by uh, the contents of your character. And I will say, as children of God, our ultimate identity is as children of God. Yes. I am a daughter of the King. Yeah. And I heard uh, Priscilla Shira say this, but it's been something that I, I strongly believe. I'm a daughter of the King happens to be black wow. and so my being black is not it's not a definition it's a description yeah wow your being white is not a definition i cannot define you by virtue of the fact that you're mm. white but i can describe you as white mm. if i wanted to create a picture of that yeah okay if i wanted to let someone know what you look like i can say just is white mm. uh, her husband uh, she she's from india Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and her children are biracial. Mm. Um, so that's a description. But yeah. we have to know, and the person I'm talking with has to know that I haven't disclosed anything about who you are by describing you. Mm. And if they want to know who you are, they need to talk to you, wow. get to know you, and know what your story is. Because chances are, you know a little bit about suffering, mm-hmm. or a lot. Chances are you may know a lot more about certain types of suffering than I do. Mm. And my being black doesn't equate to greater understanding of suffering. Wow. And neither does your being white mm. equate to greater, greater levels of privilege as the world is trying to um, express it in, in, uh, mm. yeah, at the moment. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't equal anything other than its a description. So the definition comes from from not being lazy, Jess. Mm. We're lazy when we try to define someone by the by something that yeah. is a simple description. Um, the the road that Jesus travelled was to sit at the table with people. Wow. The road that he travelled was to take them by the hand mm. and walk alongside them and speak with them and hear them out. Even if he didn't agree, he did it on the road to Emmaus. The yeah. conclusions that they reached were not accurate, but yeah. they listened. Wow. 
Wow. So I don't know if I've answered your question. <laughs> oh gosh, you've you've more than answered my question. <laughs> I am um I'm taking this all in and I think um I love what you said about the cross being the equalizer. That that God does not look at us based on the color of our skin that he he sees us through the blood of jesus and that is the he has the final say and his word is final when it comes to defining us and i think you're so right about us as um especially in the western culture we we are so we lack so much empathy and so much compassion because we just don't have the time these days to sit down and chat with someone and and get to know their story we're too busy we're too distracted and yeah it's it's food for thought and it's something that i think we all need to introspect and ponder on and i mean yeah that's just the past few weeks i have been praying that god would really i guess expose any sort of racism in my heart and um and it's so true it's it's just taking the time and it's not not to say that you have to kind of look at a stranger across the road and intentionally go up to them and say hey tell me your story it's it's just like kind of stripping down the walls and not assuming yeah exactly that's so spot on and i think if we would do what jesus said (laughs) we would not have an issue at all Mm. Uh, if we haven't taken the time to know the story then we need to suspend judgment Mm -hmm. we need to suspend the conclusion um, she's black, therefore, has to be something that we cannot do yeah. if we haven't taken the time. And she's white, therefore she thinks, therefore she believes, therefore she is. Wow. Uh, cannot be um, what, where we allow ourselves to go. We can say, no, there is, there is a, a woman who is white, black, Asian, whatever, Mm. created in the image of God. Yeah, amen. And Lord, for the very for the very fact that she or he is created in your image, I bless them. I love them. And if we mm. would, you know, take the time to be the servant of all, if we want to be great in the kingdom, Jesus gave us yeah. all the keys, church. He's given us all the keys. The church has yeah. the answers here. It's the servant called being the servant of all means that you're not going to um, elevate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's better than, that's it. That's what the cure to racism is. I am not better than anybody. And my Lord and Savior became the greatest servant. Left his glory to do it. So that's my example, irrespective of who it is and the color of the person that I'm serving. Mm. If the church would hold on to that, I think we would eradicate that issue really, really, uh, or, or, you know, at least do a lot to um, bring it, make it lose its 
power. Mm. Amen. So, Amen. You know, so I'm good. Hopeful. <laughs> I'm hopeful. I'm too. hopeful too. I'm I'm hopeful. Yeah. yeah. Um, thank you so much, Ruth, for your wisdom and just for being bold about, you know, a topic that is hard for many people to talk about. But I'm so glad that it's coming to light and that yeah. there, yeah, people are speaking up on it. And um, I'm just thankful for your time. And um, yeah, just thank you. <laughs> Love your heart. Thanks so much for coming on today. It was an honor to chat with you. I'm so grateful to have had the chance to sit down and listen to these women pour their hearts out to us about an issue that is not only still prevalent today, but that breaks the heart of God. I've been asking God to expose any racism within my own heart, and I pray that you'll join me in doing the same. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Revelation 7 verse 9 says, 
After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Let's be committed to simply taking the time to hear other people's stories without reservation or judgment. And you can start that by listening to more of the episodes of my podcast. I encourage you to subscribe so new episodes will download to your devices automatically. And if you have a spare moment, follow my social media pages at Wildflower Stories on both Facebook and Instagram. I'm so blessed to have a community of people supporting this platform. You are all so dear to my heart and so very appreciated. I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll be back in a fortnight bringing you another powerful story.